Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Transgender policy. Why is science and basic biology being ignored? Critical race theory. Teaching children to hate others because of their skin color. On this vote, the motion is not agreed to. It will not be the last time that voting rights comes up. The Delta variant is the greatest threat to our attempt to eliminate COVID-19. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, good afternoon. Welcome to News and Views with Tom and Benny and producer Clark Willis. Uh, Benny Hardy sitting in today for Tom. Uh, be flying solo. We've got a lot of big stories, a lot of breaking news locally and nationally. But uh, first of all, if you want to listen to us, we're on 103.7 and 96.3 on your drive home. Where You can listen to us on TuneIn Radio, Facebook. Spotify, YouTube, you got it. We're all over the place. And later on, we might have some time for some calls at 252-561-8255, 252-561-8255. Before we get to some of the breaking stories, at 520, we will have Senator Jim Perry, uh, the majority whip for the North Carolina State Senate, uh, representing Lenore and Wayne counties, to talk to us about Everything budget and what's been going on this legislative session. They had a busy summer so far, and hopefully Jim can enlighten us on the stories of the day out of the North Carolina General Assembly. Breaking nationally quickly, uh, Kamala Harris out of Fox News today has announced that she will make her first trip to the border after more than <laughs> 90 days. Yeah, it's about time, Kamala. 90 days since being tapped in control of the crisis at the border by President Joe Biden. Uh, the vice president has been under heavy scrutiny and pressure under Republicans and Democrats, particularly Democrats at the border states. She is set to visit the U.S.-Mexico border on Friday, the White House confirmed, amid mounting criticism from Republicans. And since she's been appointed by President Biden to handle the root causes of migration, she will uh, visit El Paso, Texas, which if you've ever been to El Paso, it's looking straight down at the border. Uh, she will visit there with Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. So finally, after 91 days of being in charge of the crisis at the border, Vice President Harris cannot laugh it off anymore, and she will have to go, and the cameras will be rolling, I'm sure. Uh, before we get to breaking stories out of ECU today, uh, it was announced today that one of the four winners of the million-dollar lottery, uh, the lottery uh, system through Governor Cooper and Mandy Cohen, uh, anyone who was vaccinated for the COVID-19 uh, vaccine would get their name put in a uh, in the computer system, and four winners would get a chance to win one million dollars. The first of those four winners will be announced today. Just recently went to their website; it has not been announced yet. So, I think they're probably behind the scenes and uh, trying to decide who's going to win it. I'm hoping it will be one of Cooper or Mandy Cohen's political rivals, maybe like Henry Hinton, <laughs> and just. I'd like to buy a ticket to that to see Roy Cooper and Mandy Cohen giving a political rival uh, or or even Henry Hinton a check for a million dollars. Oh, would, my. That would be fun to watch, I'm telling you. Out of ECU News today, big news out of ECU Invited Health. East Carolina University will move towards full clinical integration with Vited Health and the creation of distinctive health system brand. ECU Health or similar branding to serve the 1.4 million residents of Eastern North Carolina, announced by Chancellor Philip Rogers today. As part of executing this vision for a clinically integrated, rebranded academic health system, Rogers has appointed Dr. Michael Waldrum, CEO of Vited Health, 
as a seventh dean of the Brody School of Medicine at ECU. This appointment is effective for July 1st, 2021. Earlier today, there was a press conference over at ECU. I was able to listen in to some of that, and they talked about uh, basically this is in the early stages uh, that would be branded uh, as in some form of ECU health. They did not have a name uh, picked yet, um, but they said it basically would be shared governance and branding. It's not a financial transaction, but and it's no name of this time. UNC System President Peter Hahn said of today's announcement, this begins to place ECU invited into closer organizational alignment so the mission remains the priority, serving the health care needs of eastern North Carolina, rural areas of our state, and beyond. Chancellor Rogers' selection of Dr. Waldrum and Dr. Higginson demonstrates that they will all realize the most strategic and productive way forward to working more closely together. Uh, Dr. Higginson uh, was the interim uh, dean of the School of Medicine uh, since the last school uh, dean left, and he will be in a role as the uh, under uh, Dr. Waldron for this position. So that's big news for East Carolina University, Vita Health. Big news for Eastern North Carolina because, as everyone knows, they have uh, uh, thousands and thousands of people they serve in Eastern North Carolina, actually millions, and they have several facilities from Virginia on down almost to Wilmington. So this is big news for the branding and collaboration between these two important entities. Also, uh, out of, out of, um, let's see, out of out of national news today, you might have heard yesterday we talked about the importance of Senate Bill One, which was the Senate version of HR One for the People Act. And yesterday, actually right after our show, the Republicans blocked uh, using the filibuster to stop debates on what the Democrats say is their top priority. We have talked about before that uh, this is sweeping uh, election law changes that basically takes the elections out of the state's hands as per our Constitution and makes it a federal issue. And it's something that Democrats have been pushing for. We announced yesterday on this show that Senator Joe Manchin out of West Virginia and Senator um, out of New York uh, had got together and cut a deal, but apparently there was not enough votes. Even GOP moderates, uh, Senator Lisa Markowski out of Alaska said she couldn't support the partisan federal takeover of the election system. In a floor speech, she said she backed elements of the bill and will co-sponsor the separate John Lewis Voting Rights Act but can't back Democrats' one-size-fits-all reforms. If you recall, I guess about two weeks ago, Clark, I believe, we had Ken Blackwell that talked about uh, talked about H.R. 1 and Senate Bill 1, but he also talked about the biggest risk because he said there was no chance to get Senate Bill 1 and H.R. 1 passed. That is correct. And he said the biggest risk was this uh, this new bill, I think it was maybe HB4 or HR4 maybe, but it was called the John Lewis, or still called the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And he said this was a real threat because they could get more votes, but it was still a federal takeover of the election system, and it was really just the Democrats' way of, of, of getting more in this that they could get a little bit more bipartisan support. But I thought yesterday this was, this was very important. Um, so they could just block, because I think the Democrats really was going to just use this as a time 
to be on national TV, to put their talking points out, uh, knowing it would not pass. Um, it takes a 60-vote majority to get something like that passed, but it would just give the Democrats an opportunity to really just control the dialogue. So blocking this debate, I, th- I think, is important. Um, and Senator, anytime Senator Chuck Schumer has something bad to say about it, I'm all, I'm all for or against it. So <laughs> Senator uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer yesterday accused the GOP of being afraid to bait, debate the merits of voting rights because they forced to defend their efforts to disenfranchise voters. There's that phrase again that everybody uses. The mainstream media uses it just, just like the Democrat Party does. To, that, that the purpose is to disenfranchise voters. Senator Schumer said, I want to be clear about what just happened on the Senate floor. Schumer said immediately following the vote, every single Senate Republican just voted against starting debate on legislation to protect America's voting rights. Well, that is a bunch of horse manure, (laughs) for sure. If you read the For the People Act, and I've read it uh, several weeks ago, it is just a federal takeover of the election system that, per the Constitution, is the right of the states. Um, As might, you might uh, figure, Senator Minority Mitch McConnell said Republicans won't stand for Democrats' attempt to impose new voting standards on states that would rig elections in their favor. He called the substance of the nearly 900-page bill rotten to its core. So that's that's big. It wasn't talked about much um, except on some of the channels, uh, on the conservative channels this morning. I was watching the news earlier this morning, but when you flipped over to to the mainstream media channels, all they talked about was disenfranchisement of voters, and it's nothing like that at all. Um, so that's that's good news out of Washington. You know, out of Florida, we talk about uh, our governor down there, Ron DeSantis, and he is not afraid to stand up to what's going on. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, he signed into law a critical race theory law, um, and now he's signed one yesterday requiring all students to learn civics and the evils of communism. And he signed three bills in the law yesterday, target education, requiring the teaching of evils, communism, and more. And signing these bills, DeSantis, an outspoken conservative, said, the sad reality is that only two in five Americans can correctly name three branches of government, and the more than a third of Americans cannot name any of the rights guaranteed by the First Amendment. It is abundantly clear that we need to much do a much better job of educating our students in civics to prepare them for the rest of their lives. I think this is very important because, kind of on a side note of this, he talked about where people cannot, um, you know, can't pass the basic civics course. But but when you think about it, uh, I was looking at some demographics data the other day, and I, I enjoy looking at demographics data because I'm a numbers person. But in the United States, over 50% of the people in the United States was were born after 1979. Now, you think about that. There's a lot that's gone on since 1979 and before 1979, but before 1979, um, we had the greatest generation defeat fascism and communism around the world. Um, the, the people in high school now and the graduates of high school now were not even born when 9-11 happened. So... You have got a lot of people uh, that just did not grow up like people in my generation that did, that learned about World War I, World War II, uh, and the Cold War era 
when we were fighting the mighty Soviet Union or trying to avoid a war against the mighty Soviet Union. So with these kind of demographics, it would be great that a state is like Florida is taking the lead to make sure the students learn what we learned several years ago. Um, so that thing that's important, important law that's happening out of Florida, hopefully uh, when we have Jim Perry on today, hopefully I'll ask him, is anything like that in the works in North Carolina? Because that's something that's really important. And hopefully we can talk about something like that in North Carolina. At, we've got uh, coming up, Jim Perry will be with us in the, after the break. Jim, again, is the North Carolina State Senator. He's Majority Whip for North Carolina, representing the 7th District out of Lenore and Wayne Counties. And we will be back in just a minute to talk to Jim about everything that's been going on in Raleigh for the last few weeks. See you in just a few minutes, folks. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighborhood. First thing you should do after work. I turn on the radio. Check in with Tom and Benny. Gotta know what's happening in my city. What's going on in my backyard. Things that are happening locally. I like the local news. Things that I don't hear everywhere else. I don't hear everywhere else. For the local news you want. Kept me informed for all of the local stuff, you know. It let me know what was going on in the local community. Eastern Carolina's news source is news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome back. Uh, before we get to our next guest here uh, today, we have uh, sunny, uh, high near 81, northeast winds 6 to 9 miles per hour. Tonight, low around 57. And tomorrow night, looks like we've got another great day of weather for a concert on the Common, we had, I think, three weeks in a row that the weather was just horrible. And last, It was actually two. It, two, okay. Two. So We're one for two. One for two. So last week was great. Again, this week, it's the weather looks like it's going to be great for tomorrow night. So come on out at, I believe, 6 o'clock. Is that right, Clark? And the band is Night Years. Uh, one of their band members from Goldsboro uh, was a finalist on American Idol. So that should be pretty good. Um, looking forward to it. So great weather. Um Hopefully, hopefully it will hold out, and looks like it will be great weather the rest of the week. On the phone with us, we have uh, Senator Jim Perry. Senator Jim Perry is the North Carolina State Senator representing the Seventh District out of Lenore and Wayne Counties this year for the 2021-2022 uh, legislative years. He was elected Majority Whip by the Republican Party. And we're glad to have Jim on the phone. We've had Jim with us on the past to talk about everything going on in Raleigh, and he's had a busy time in the last few weeks. Jim, how you doing? I'm well. I'm well. appreciate you having me today. Yeah, you guys have been busy uh, all about budget and everything that's a legislative issue just about has some type of budgetary uh, function about it. Just today, out of the Associated Press, I just noticed they released that um, today on the uh, – they passed the Finance Committee in the Senate, the budget that was released yesterday, and tomorrow, I believe, we'll go to the Senate floor debate uh, and maybe what's maybe it's a couple of votes. If you could explain to us, a lot of people get confused about the budgeting process. They hear the Senate talk about things. They hear about the House talk about things. As everyone knows, the governor released his uh, a multi-billion dollar won't list, and uh, people say, well, what's the difference between the governor's budget, um, for, for people that know the governor doesn't have the budget, but how about just explaining briefly what exactly how the budget process works in North Carolina um, in a few words. Sure. So the, the governor has a constitutional responsibility to submit uh, recommendations for a budget. In the history of our state, 
uh, at no time has a governor's budget ever been passed by the General Assembly. And remember, there were 140 years of Democrat control and about 130 years of, or 125 years of Democrat supermajorities. So, you know, it's not a a partisan issue. It's just everyone has different ideas. So the governor just, he puts out a wish list campaign document that happens, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. Uh, That's what we've seen. And, you know, everybody sees everything in it they want. It's impossible to pay for. And then in the General Assembly, uh, the different chambers rotate starting the budget process. So one chamber tees it up every biennium this year. It's our turn. Uh, historically, and, and this is not just with Republican majorities, but the, the Senate has been uh, more conservative with their budget policies. And, and that, that's really, in my opinion, a product of the, the fact that there's less members. So, you know, you've got less, less folks with, uh, with needs and wants that are trying to fund so that the Senate numbers are always smaller. Um, then the, the budget goes to the House, and they put the things in there they want. They've got twice as many members, so the dollar amount increased. Um, the Senate always contains spending, goes up in the House. Uh, but you have a so first step to the Senate, then the second House is the House of Persian. You know, in layman's terms, neither one of them really matter. What matters is the conference committee report, and that's at the end when you, you get all the subchairs together and you negotiate what becomes the final budget that everyone is really going to vote on. So it's kind of a convoluted governmental process. You see people get really excited about what is or is not in there. It really doesn't matter until we have a conference committee report. And if you go back and look at the history, it's just just always been that way. You do see some projects that are listed in budgets early, and that's a signal to people back home about what's important, who's been able to get something in there. And um, typically, they stay, but when it when it comes to uh, funding of different departments or you know raises are always a big thing. That's always one of the biggest budget items. All that matters is what's in there at the end. Yeah, and and like you said, the governor and the general assembly uh, over in the house, as far as that goes, when you're not responsible for the budget, and plus you have more constituents uh, calling in and. <laughs> making requests it's kind of, yeah. kind of like with my kids uh if i didn't have any budgetary uh concerns on something they asked for heck i'll give them whatever they want <laughs> but that's but, right but we've got uh i mean almost every legislative issue has some dollar figure attached mm-hmm. to it uh yesterday as you know all throughout the state the senate's budget was was released and talked about and uh sure it was kind of funny how it was talked about on one side versus the other, but everyone mm-hmm. really on, on both sides of the aisle from a media standpoint yesterday seemed to be talking about just how flush North Carolina was with cash. Now, mm-hmm. ye- yesterday I was reading um, some some information out of the research division out of North Carolina General Assembly about, hey, we, we don't have $6 billion extra dollars this year. It, it's actually yeah. a lot less than that. Maybe, maybe things aren't quite as bad as they were, but uh, we're not $6 million flush in cash. How about explaining that a little bit to our listeners? Yeah, so when, you know, people use accounting terminology very loosely, and not not to pick on my, my friends in the media, but they don't teach a lot of accounting in journalism school. <laughs> uh, so when, when you talk about having, you know, excess cash or surplus, uh, they all mean different things, you know, and so you really have to understand the terminology. And when they say that the 
the forecast ended up being six million, you know, better than anticipated. What people don't realize is that the forecast had been reduced by about four point two million dollars back in February when we we have all the unknowns of COVID. And then, you know, when they try to account for rumors of what's going to happen with um, coronavirus relief funds and what type of package we might see coming out, no one knew the dollar amounts. So it was, re- I mean, you know, it's impossible. Shot in the, really shot in the dark, really, yeah. That's right. That's right. So it was, uh, we expected a $4.2 million shortfall. It ended up uh, being better. So, you know, they got the forecast back up to about what we consider level. And we actually end up, we think we're going to collect about $1.9 uh, billion more than we thought. So it's not it's a $6 billion swing, but it's really $1.9 billion in cash because, you know, it moved around in the interim. Look, no matter how you slice it, it's good to have more cash than you anticipated. But there's something else people need to realize. Um, that's not recurring. You've got all these federal dollars out there that have stimulated the economy. People get checks. They go buy things. We collect sales tax. Uh, we still need to have responsible budgets that limit the growth of recurring spending. And you think about that as a as your car payment, right? So if you if you win uh, if you win bingo on Friday night for ten thousand dollars, you might be able to go buy an eight thousand dollar car and be fine. But what you can't do is buy a fifty thousand dollar car with a thousand dollar a month payment for five years because you you had that one time shot in the arm. Uh, so we we will always think we need to recur- control the recurring spending increases. So back when we got in trouble. Back you know, before the, the last uh, big recession, I'm going to call that 08, 09, uh, expenses were growing at 9% per year, but revenue was growing at 1%. And instead of having the discipline to say, guys, that, that's bad, you can't let your expenses grow faster than your revenue, they just stopped funding things like retirements. We just put $300 million in the retirement account so that we can honor the promises made to our retirees. That is 10 times the amount of money that's in a current House bill to provide a 2% one-time bonus to retirees. 10 times the amount of money, much more fiscally responsible. But no one talks about that. You know, we, we've got a very sound retirement plan. We want to take care of our folks. We want to make good decisions. We want to give the raises that we can from a fiscally responsible standpoint. And I'll say that what you see today, don't get excited about it because – that, that last one is what matters, that conference committee report. And we, we, we expect to continue to see changes. Yeah, we talked about yesterday, uh, you know, just where this process would go from here. And, I mean, I know you can't, uh, you know, really uh, call, call your hand right now on inside baseball what's going on in the Senate. But, but where do you expect just from here? I know, I know the House will have those ideas. You guys will have to have a conference and that type of thing. But just in terms yep. of, a, of, a, of a timing, what do you expect? to happen from here going forward kind of from 30,000 feet and 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 when when will we have a budget so i think towards the last week of july we'll be just about finished and we should be completely wrapped up by the middle of august and that gives us a little flexibility for communication with the governor and uh, the other chamber and everything they have going on um this is a very fiscally responsible position it is what has kept North Carolina in great shape and the reason we're not scared to death today, like some other states have been. Yeah, absolutely. And since uh, since the Republicans took over 
the General Assembly in the in North Carolina, um, it, it's completely different in terms of having that rainy day fund and and not outspending your revenues. And also, we've had tax cuts. Uh, you know, right. the, the Democrats like to talk about, hey, we're get we're get, giving people money away in tax cuts, but. But I like to say that we're not giving money away. We're giving it back because it belongs to the citizens. Raleigh doesn't have any money except for what you and I and other citizens send in the form of tax revenues. So, uh, right. and and it, part of that plan uh, we talked a little bit about yesterday. A little bit of a surprise to me when it came out. I had heard about the uh, dropping our our individual tax rate from five and a quarter percent to four point nine nine percent. And but but now by two thousand twenty six in the Senate's budget. Uh, dropping just under four percent at three nine nine. I think that three nine nine is kind of like, uh, you know, three dollars and ninety nine cent for an item sounds a lot better than four dollars. So, uh, so right. when you're when you're trying to recruit uh, businesses and individuals out of state, that's that's a good thing. And under and the Benny, being an accountant, you also understand something other people aren't thinking about. We're increasing the zero tax bracket to twenty five five. We're we're going to mirror what the feds do. So everyone out there who's earning income today, you just got to raise. Right. Everyone. And we dropped about a quarter of a million people off the tax rolls by doing this. So, you know, this did uh, benefit everyone in North Carolina. And I'll say certainly the, the low-income worker. We get hit on that all the time about how tax breaks only benefit um, the wealthy. And what I'll say is that, you know, if you're not paying any tax, I can't really help you with a tax cut. But <laughs> this right. does this does help everyone who's paying taxes. Everyone just got a raise. And so any other increase you, you hear about or somebody complaining about what they see today, and I'll just stress that this is the first step in a multi-step process. We've got a good idea what's going to happen. I don't care who you are. You've got an additional raise because of us raising the zero tax bracket and lowering the PIT. You just got to keep more of your money. Well, like my granddaddy used to say, son, it's not so much what you make as what you keep. <laughs> and yeah. and that's, uh, that's, that's definitely got that with taxes. One, one item I would like to ask you about, just because so many people have an interest in this in eastern North Carolina, uh, because mm-hmm. of, of the, the med school was so important to uh, eastern North Carolina, talk about in the budget um, – you know, I think there was around seventy-five, seventy-six million. It talked about, uh, and and I think the the new med school is maybe in the two seventy-five to two eighty range. How will that seventy-six be dispersed? Is that over? Is that per year, or is that over the two-year period, or how how would that work? So that that's as much money as we think that they can actually get out the door inside of the biennium. The the commitment, if you read the money report, is actually two hundred fifteen million. Now, you will see that the Senate actually uh, set about a half a billion dollars cash on the sideline because, you know, let's think about what's going on in the world right now. First of all, building materials are going up. <laughs> Everybody knows that. But try to find somebody to do your construction. There's only so many projects that can be done, so that's going to help push price up also. And I think it's going to push times out. So people say, why don't you spend all that money? And well, we kind of have, uh, <laughs> because the prices are going to go up. You're not going to be able to get the contractors to do the work. Uh, it's going to, you know, supply and demand is going to drive the cost up. We're trying to be reasonable about it. But that amount of construction really has over a half-billion-dollar impact on us in eastern North Carolina. That's something that has had a lot of champions over time, a lot of folks pushing for it. I've certainly pushed for it. 
uh, I, I want and need a healthy East Carolina University. I, I mean, it's good for everybody east of 95, and there's no doubt about that. Well, great. Jim, one final thing. Um, you know, we appreciate your service up in, in Raleigh, and we know how busy everyone uh, are up in the General Assembly and the commitment, personal commitment it takes. Uh, and you've been quite busy from a legislative standpoint just in sponsoring bills and that type of thing. Looking back so far uh, this year in this legislative session, what, what would you say is your, your proudest accomplishment uh, from a legislative standpoint this time? Well, so I've got some proud accomplishments on lining up folks to get legislation passed that's important, but also working hard on veto overrides. And, uh, we, you know, I, I think as the whip, that's important. I handle some tough issues if, if legislation needs to come through. Sometimes I have to run stuff I'm not necessarily crazy about, but that's my job. Um, I had some pharmacy benefit management legislation, and it helps reduce the price of prescription drugs. That means a lot to me because of, of where I'm from and who I represent. That was a, um, a, a drug transparency pricing bill that I had. Uh, there's a couple other things I'm, I'm working on that I'm I'm very proud of. Uh, one happens to do with uh, the ability of a, of a church, uh, a private church, to choose to protect themselves if they want to authorize people on their premises to have concealed carry. Um, I worked on that with boats and worked on the other side to whip boats. And that's something that the governor vetoed last week and uh, – it's it's something that I've got a lot of church schools in my district, and I've right. had people I grew up with. You know, <laughs> I've known them all my life. They know my mother. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they they look at me and they say, "Hey, we we deserve the same right as every other church to protect ourselves. Can you help us?" So that got vetoed. Uh, I will say this: we will absolutely bring that to the floor for a veto override. It's just a matter of timing, and. Uh, I believe that the situation in Raleigh has changed and that Governor Cooper does not wield the hammer that he did coming up before an election with a pocket full of cash that he was going to primary everybody. And and I think we're going to see some people vote their conviction. So, uh, you know, it's important to me folks know that we are planning on taking that up. It's just a matter of when, uh, but it's absolutely coming to the floor. Um some other legislation I'm working on behind the scenes that, that's a hot button with my constituents, certainly folks in our area, and that's uh, legislation regarding critical race theory. Um, you know, I, I don't want our kids brainwashed. I am comfortable and fine talking about history of slavery in the United States and our country. Uh, I'm comfortable and fine saying, you know what, I, I believe in freedom as a conservative. I'm, I'm glad we don't have it today. But I don't want any kid having any type of, of liberal uh, ideology forced down their throat. I don't want them having conservative ideology forced down their throat. I want them to get an education. Absolutely. And I think that's how conservatives think about it. Um, so when, when we think about this legislation and what we're going to do, and, and the Senate absolutely is going to address the issue. Yeah. I, I've seen some speculation that we were not. I, I promise you we are. Now, is that through uh, House Bill 324 um, that, that you would be addressing that the that they did over in the House on the critical race theory? or is this... so, so the way legislation works, they file it, it goes to the other chamber, you change it, tweak it, and amend it. Here's the thing I, I struggle with. Um when I grew up, the, the talk was all about um, communist Russia. 
and uh, I'd hear about communist China. Now, I'd hear about government control telling you what you can think about, what you can talk about. Absolutely. So I, I want to be careful about how it is approached because, you know, when you start talking about, hey, you can't read this book, you can't talk about this topic, uh, that's not me. Mm-hmm. I believe in freedom. But I'm going to tell you the way they're doing it and trying to shove it down kids' and families' throats, it's not okay. No. And we're going to find a way to address it that, that does allow for freedom. And I, I don't want to tell you, I want to teach you how to think uh, or, or how to make your own thoughts, not what to think. Absolutely. So, you know, we think about that, but make no mistake, we see it as wrong. Every, every one of us are united by that, and we want to have reasonable instructors in the school teaching reasonable material. Controversial material is okay. It teaches you how to think. Right. But, but not, not this stuff, not brainwashing, not going too far. Well, Jim, thank you for your time. Thank you for what you're doing for us. Uh, Senator Jim Perry, Majority Whip, Republican, out of Lenore and Wayne County. Uh, thank you for your time, and we look forward to having you back on again, and maybe we can uh, talk about uh, this budget gets passed and Roy Cooper signs it for once. About, imagine that. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> thank you for having me. Be back thank shortly. You. Thank you. This is your Drive at 5, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back. Uh, Thanks again to Jim Perry, uh, Senator out of Lenore and Wayne Counties, for his time today. You know, it's it's very good. I'm a business person my entire adult life. uh, I've been in, in, uh, in, in a business, grew up in a family business. And it's good and refreshing to have elected leaders that have business experience. I don't think every elected leader should should be a business person, but at the same time, I think it's important to have someone that has the experience. My first 10 years of my career, uh, I worked with a large company. It was, it was a business, but I didn't have the appreciation of owning a business until I really owned my own business and knew what it was like to sign a check on the front instead of the back, and it, it gives you a, a unique perspective uh, and and for so many times in Washington and Raleigh, locally, there's times when we don't have enough business people, uh, people um, that's actually, you know, had to pay people first before they pay themselves. So people like Jim Perry that's been successful in business and others, uh, we are thankful for their service and happy that they choose to serve the citizens of North Carolina. On the phone, we have Doug from Newburn. Hey, Doug. Hey, Benny. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate it. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. And and uh, uh, you're holding the fort down real well today, so thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Uh, my question, uh, as being uh, the you know, AJ consumer, the, the average American citizen, um, uh, is the news media not covering what the Republicans are doing, or are the Republicans doing anything uh, because all we hear about the Democrats doing this and the Democrats doing that, and then we never hear the other side of the story. So are they not doing it, or is it just not being covered? 
Well, you know, I, I can be I can be very I'm critical of both sides. I mean, I can be as critical on Republicans as I can on Democrats. But it's obvious my my entire life. I mean, I'm I'm 55 years old and my entire life, you know, the, the mainstream media has been liberal, you know, going back to their 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 love of John F. Kennedy, which John F. Kennedy was a Democrat. And today he probably wouldn't win win a primary in a Democrat party because they've changed so much. But but it's obvious if you turn on the television and watch the news media, the bias in the in the mainstream media is apparent to everyone. I mean, if you're not, your head's in the sand. But at the same time, I think the Republicans and and they're doing a better job. I think they can do a better job with messaging. I mean, you can complain all you want about, hey, we don't get the coverage, but take the fight to the media. If you've got something that you believe in, go to the media, and and get your best people that can communicate what your mission is and your goals, and go to the media. And uh, I think it's a little bit of both, but but obviously, uh, watching any any news news channels when I when I turn on NBC or ABC or CBS at night occasionally just to just to get a feel what they're talking about, I don't recognize what they're talking about because what they're talking about oftentimes is not the truth. What do you think, Doug? Well, the other the other, the other good flip of that coin is um, we got President Trump going to go down to the to the border. Um, and our vice president is uh, very upset, and they want to run down there sooner. But that's what it takes to light a fire underneath the administration that's in there now. Well, you know, we talked about it at the start of the show. Uh, I think today would have been 91 days that Kamala Harris has not been to the border, and they announced it today because— Hey, you know, Democrats and Republicans along the border recognize what's going on, and and it's time for them to, for her to go down there. And if you've appointed by the president, that's your responsibility. Go down and see what the root cause is. Go see what the people in, you know, Texas and uh, New Mexico and uh, Arizona and places like that and California what they deal with on a daily basis. Um, because the bottom line is, what defines a country? What defines a nation? a border, a language, and a culture. And if you don't have those three things, you don't have a country. And if we keep going like we're going, um, and and especially it's happened in the last uh, 100 days, it's gotten worse. If we keep going like we're going, we're not going to have a country. So thank, yeah. thank you, Doug. Appreciate you listening, and uh, glad to hear you guys are listening down in Newburn. I guess you you're listening on 96.3 down that way. Seems like we get better coverage all the way down to Wilmington, don't we, Clark? Look, folks, we got to take a quick break. If you want to call in, 561-8255-561-825. Be back shortly. Thank you. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Today, out of Fox News, was reporting uh, big, big news on the front of, what is it? Uh, deals with the police and the sentiment around the country. The nation's largest police union on Tuesday slammed politicians and the media for fueling anti-police sentiment across the country. As violent crime is surging, some politicians and some of the media are gaslighting the public into thinking the public that the police are the problem. National Fraternal Order of the Police tweeted. Now, they tweeted out uh, some statistics around the United States that um, and homicides in Atlanta since all of this George Floyd protest and the protests last summer and the defunding of the police that the Democrat Party has been pushing, homicides in Atlanta are up 58%. In the city of Portland, it's up 533%. 
and Philadelphia, 37%. New York, shootings are up 64%. Los Angeles, 51%. And Chicago, 18%. So we talked about yesterday, Tom and I talked about that, you know, I I think this is going to end up uh, really hurting the Democrat Party. There's actually some Democrat strategists out there saying, you guys have got to stop this defund the police, stop this anti-police sentiment, or you're going to put Donald Trump back in office. I heard one the other night talking about that. And I I think something that sort of uh, that came out today that, that may be leaning towards this in New York City, uh, they're having a mayor race in New York City, and they have a special way of electing mayors up there now that using a new uh, you know, voting-type system that don't want to get into details. But the guy that's leading right now, Eric Adams, in the, in the uh, Democrat primary of the mayoral race, he is leading over someone that uh, sits in second place that was endorsed by AOC, that's anti-police, talked about removing a billion dollars out of the police department's budget. But uh, Eric Adams is a former New York policeman. So to me, in New York City, for this to be going on in New York City, um, I think that's important. I think that's important to show what's going on in the United States and the sentiment of people. Because, number one, your government should protect you. (laughs) And the police is there to protect and to serve. Yeah, there's bad policemen, just like there's bad lawyers, bad accountants, bad doctors. But... By and large, the majority are there to protect us. And this this Democratic uh, talking point of defunding police, I think, is going to hurt the Democrat Party. Uh, Eric Adams out of New York City, he said, um, New York City said our first choice is Eric Adams. He told a a room full of supporters, you don't know this. I know this. I'm going to keep my city safe. So I think that was I think that was very telling uh, after what we see going on uh, cities across the country country, particularly Chicago, New York, Portland, and others. And here locally uh, in Asheville, we talked about in Asheville, since this defund police movement with the Asheville City Council, they're like 90 officers short in Asheville. I mean, 90 officers for a place like Asheville, that's a lot. And they've had four homicides in downtown Asheville this year. And hey, let me tell you, it's... uh, People want to be free, they want to be safe, and they want their government to protect them. They don't want uh, uh, not having a civilization. You know, Ronald Reagan said uh, several years ago, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed for them to do the same. And that's what we're here. So I'm asking everybody to make a stand, make a difference. If you don't agree with what your government's doing, Go, go to your city council, go to the General Assembly, talk to them, and defend your rights. Defend your rights as a citizen. Thank you, everybody. Have a good day, and uh, enjoy your evening. Goodbye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.